All right, you guys. It's the My High Hockey Podcast. It's the In Case You Missed It edition because there's been just this endless stream of small bits of avalanche news and plus some big stuff around the league that we want to talk about for sure. Um, about 15 minutes ago, we started with this awesome little thing I had pre-planned where we were going to talk about how the Las Vegas team must be called the Aces. Um, I met with I was met with heavy disagreement. And then I noticed that Reaper was not recording my audio input. So, um, we're just, you're just going to have to trust us that Las Vegas Aces is the name of this team, and everyone clearly agrees with me. <laughs> You'll hear the voices of Earl 06 and uh, Ryan Murphy, by the way. Hello. And we are recording on June 14th, 2016. Just to date ourselves. <laughs> Just in case anything we predict comes true. Yeah, r- well, remind me what your wrong opinions were on the on the aces. <laughs> I'm plenty dated already, I assure you. I like the Las Vegas Star Trek experience. Uh, and I just can't take a Las Vegas team seriously <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the Las Vegas LOL. <clears throat> Honestly, Las Vegas where Godfather it's... Part 2 was. <laughs> Expansion to me means losing one of our players, so it's it's kind of an unhappy thing. So there was an AP report today that the Las Vegas expansion is almost definitely happening in a year, and the league will not make that official until at least June 22nd, but that's what we know. Yep, we could give uh, Adrian Dater some credit here. He had that rumor pretty locked down a couple weeks ago, so he was right. He was right. Quebec was left. I mean, he's you know he's he's he broke the the lockout for for better or worse. It might have been two minutes ahead of the next guy, but yep. um, you know he's, he's a got well connected journalist there. He is, and you know it, it's it's too bad in some ways that he can't ply his trade for a local outlet, but he's probably better off where he is. I think he is too. Anyway, uh, no, I do like the idea of an expansion team. The lopsided conferences is obnoxious this year, and people talk about diluting talent a lot. I think there's a lot of concentration of talent uh, in the Western Conference, uh, especially because there aren't 16 teams like in the East. Yeah, I mean, the dilution of talent was really bad in the 90s, and I think that was part of why the dead puck era started. But one team isn't going to do that again. I mean, it's already you know far too defensive anyway. Uh, the degree to which talent will be diluted here <clears throat> probably isn't going to make it any worse. I hope. You know, plus, hockey internationally has grown so much in the time since. Uh, we have leagues that are very successful outside of Sweden and Russia. Yeah, I mean, Finland is is rising majestically. Right. We have more talent coming into the NHL internationally than we ever have. And, uh, you know, lots of players are going to need opportunities that aren't getting them right now. So um, the first big piece of avalanche news we wanted to talk about this uh, this evening as we record is today's uh, trade rumor speculation air post. Air A-I-R, not E-R-R, uh, from Darren Dreger. Hot air post? Yeah, hot air. <laughs> Tufts of wind floating in the breeze. 
you know, I, I, I think for Drager, it was, it was, it was pretty down to earth. You know, he, he said that the Avs are looking to make some changes and that anyone could be available except for McKinnon. But it, it's going to have to be a screaming deal. It's, it's not going to be, you know, drive up your jump, dump truck load full of garbage and, and we'll trade Matt to Shane for it. it. It's, you know, it's something if, if, if they get offered something that they really need, i.e. A, a good defenseman, then maybe Duchesne is in play. Not but, that Dreger's saying specifically that it won't be that. We'll stop hockey's future boards. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it, you know, you're going to have the, the panic room crowd go off on this, and, and that's fine. But um, it's not really saying anything we didn't know beforehand. It's just sort of laying it out there in the media that, yes, the Avs have some players that could be available for the right price, right. just like Once every again, other you know, Darren Drager's picked a headline that's going to get more discussion than the article would have itself. I mean, the headline is Joe Sackick and the Colorado Avalanche are big game hunting, <laughs> which, okay, fine. Uh, we're going to be seeing a herd of deer <laughs> play for the Avalanche. Next <laughs> but the article itself says that it would have to be the perfect deal to unload a core piece. And uh, that's not what's being focused on in the aftermath of this article. You know, the Avalanche are not looking to deal these big players unless it's really, really in their best interest. Yeah. I would go so far as to say that that applies to Tyson Berry, too. Absolutely. You know? I mean, the the fan mentality, you know, Avs fans and fans around the league is that, you know, just basically – Abs are dying to get rid of this guy. Just make any offer, we'll take it. And that's that's really not the case at all. It could not be more wrong. The, the Avalanche value these players. You know, uh, they may question the fit overall, and they may explore what they could get back for them and whether or not that uh, works to their advantage in the future, but they're not looking to unload these players for the hell of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're not throwing Barry into the, the mistake box with, with Reto and, and Brad Stewart and, you know, things like that. That is a third-round draft pick victory right there. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that, that's something that hasn't happened in ages for the Avs. Is, is developing, organization, right? Yeah, it, for, for developing a third-rounder into, you know, a fantastic NHL talent, that's just, you know... <clears throat> That's a big win. Yeah, and, and I'll repeat something that Cole has been saying anytime this kind of stuff comes up, Cole Hamilton, um, which is just that the Avalanche have, maybe they haven't made incredible deals, but they're not making dumb ones. It's been a couple of years since the Brad Stewart's and the Red O'Bearas of the world happened. Um, yeah, there's been a progression there. It's, it's been improvement. I mean, it's, you're still not like going out and fleecing anybody. But you're not, I mean, it's, the front office is clearly not 30 out of 30. Yeah, and they're not, you know, and, and that, that goes for throughout the organization, too. I mean, you know, they're, they're not throwing um, free agent contracts at, at, you know, prospects like they did. Um, you know, the first year they came in, they, they signed a bunch of guys, and, and then they signed... Borna and, and Everberg, and then last year all they signed really was um, was Martinson. You know, they're they're 
they're really focusing how they look at what they're trying to get as far as building the organization top to bottom. Right. We've been uh, reviewing all the players that participated for the Avalanche last year, uh, you know, over at Mile High Hockey. And I think we'd all be in agreement right now that the moves that were made last summer were all positive. I mean, I, I can't think of one that was just a flat out terrible move. And that's uh, very different than two years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's, you know, that's how I look at it. I mean, there, <laughs> there wasn't anything I really cringed at last year. Francois Beauchemin, you know, wasn't an ideal performer last year, but, you know, like I I said this week in writing, you know, that's the veteran defenseman that they've been wanting to sign since this regime's been in place. And And that's not Beauchemin's fault. It's not Beauchemin's fault. Uh, Eventually he'll play a lesser role on this team. But, you know, that is exactly who they're trying to sign. I mean, that is a victory in free agency right there. But this is tr- this is pretty typical, Dreger. This is um, team that we know is in the trade market is looking for trades, and their best young player is untouchable. But and while I don't think it's likely that their best good player will be traded, maybe. Yeah, I mean he's figured out how to monetize rumors, unfortunately, just like the rest of the sports internet. And <laughs> you know this we're gonna get this stuff all off season, so. Buckle in. I mean, we could play this game with basically any team. Yeah. Um, yeah. St. Louis Blues. Let's see. Um, the St. Louis Blues are going to be big game hunters. Uh, Vladimir Tarasenko is untouchable. Uh, I don't think they're going to trade a insert Blues player here. I just I, All I can think of is Steve Ott and laugh. Too bad that deal's ending and I don't, I'm not able to laugh at it anymore after the summer. <laughs> but like every other team in the NHL, they're going to be looking to get better. Yeah. And, and are they, they going to trade deal, Kevin Shattenkirk? Not that he's their best good player, but there's a name that I can think of off the top of my head. Right. Probably not, but maybe. Yeah. But there have been rumors about him. Yep. And it's, <clears throat> I, don't, I mean, maybe it's part of the Canadian media's mentality is, you know, they want to give hope to, you know, because a lot of these rumors end up, you know, X going to Edmonton, X going to Calgary, X going to Toronto, yada, yada, yada. Bring all the Canadians home. Tyler that- Sagan is untouchable, and I don't think the Stars will move Jamie Benn, but maybe. <laughs> he could be on his way to Winnipeg. <laughs> People get all frothy about on their way it. to Winnipeg. Yeah, yeah everybody's on... That, that makes no sense to me. The organization that's made the least trades in the last 10 years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. So we'll get back to uh, to Tyson Berry and our other RFAs in a little while. Um, let's, uh, let's look back just a couple of days. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins have won the Stanley Cup. Phil Kessel was robbed of his con Smythe. Robbed. <laughs> just highway robbery. That was just that was such a pick. I, I don't know. I mean, that was just sort of a such a default pick. Let's say. I mean, not that Crosby didn't do amazing things throughout the playoffs and help the team win, but you just you know you didn't come out of that series thinking, oh boy, Crosby's got the Con Smythe locked up. You know. I just no. want to see the entire city of Toronto melt into the Great Lakes. Yeah. All at once. <laughs> 
want to see Toronto just explode. I want to see just the sheer number of pictures of hot dogs that, that fit on Twitter at one time. <laughs> I want to see how many hot dogs you can fit into one Stanley Cup. Yep. <laughs> and that may still happen, but, you know. I just I, I thought Crosby for the for the Smythe was a, an okay pick. Yeah, I mean, it, you it's know. Not, it's nothing to get too salty about like people do because he's Sidney Crosby and because he's good, they have to hate him. You know, it's a good NHL marketing move. Yeah. But Phil is totally the better storyline. Yep. Totally. So what did you guys think about this postseason? I don't think we saw any sweeps. Uh, we saw a lot of, you know, really hard-fought hockey, a lot of a lot of good stuff out there. What did you guys think? You guys watch a whole lot? At least probably half of it. Easily. I mean, uh, you can't catch all of them, but that was a pretty good postseason. Uh, you don't have, didn't have a lot, your obvious teams in that Stanley Cup final, which I found interesting. And I think you perhaps had the two most not obvious teams in there, teams that struggled a bit to start the year. I look back I mean, in San, December, yeah. Right. San Jose and Pittsburgh were not cup contenders halfway through the season. And you know what? They both ended up looking like the best playoff teams after round one. You know, those are the teams that deserve to be in it. And uh, credit coaching, two new coaches. Yeah, I didn't catch a, a ton of it until the finals. I was I was watching a lot of junior hockey, um, but you know, as the the finals went on, I really got into it. And I, I mean, I think that was a really good series, just because I don't know, you, you didn't have the just the grinding king style. I guess we're I was tired. Just going to say that. Yeah, and you know the Blackhawks they 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 play interesting hockey for the most part, but you know it was nice not to see that. It was nice to have kind of a couple of fresh teams. And um, the hell was that? <laughs> something I'll investigate in a moment. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was sort of you know it was it, it was a different style of hockey than we've seen in the finals lately. Pretty well <clears throat> and, balanced. Yeah, and it just sort of, you know, fast. Well, that and, you know, yes, they were the the possession monsters of the postseason and and the regular season and all that. But it, they proved you could do that in an exciting way, in a quick way. Um, so that's, you know, that that sort of bodes well for the future that possession doesn't mean just grinding. It, it can actually mean like good fast hockey as well. Good point. I also think it was a big victory for the block shot. I mean, what do you guys think about, you know, that last game in the third period? You know, they only gave up two shots to the Sharks, and I heard 30 block shots in that period. Okay, I, that I hadn't heard, and I'm going to go verify immediately. You guys you should. Because, oh, Pittsburgh uh, blocked a ton of shots. But what was interesting to me was how they blocked shots, and it was totally the opposite of how the abs do it. They didn't sit there in a pyramid wedge in front of the net and having pucks bounce off them all the time. They were going out and challenging shooters and blocking shots close to the shooters. Right. Big, which is the kind of block shot, shot I'm all for. Absolutely. I mean, none of us ever denigrate the block shot. The block shot is a good thing. Uh, trying to block shots as opposed to playing good defense is where we have an issue. <laughs> Yeah, And, you know, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins demonstrated exactly what the Avalanche need to be working on defensively. So, you know, outside of Chris Letang, I don't think they have the most talented defensive group. 
you know, certainly not the biggest names. I mean, it, that defense won them the Stanley Cup. Yeah, they, you know, I, I think, you know, their, their speed was amazing. Um, the, positionally, they were great getting the puck out of the zone. And again, with the shot blocking, they were very good at pressuring the points, at pressuring the perimeter, which, you know, a lot of teams are, you know, especially the Avs, are content to let guys fart around on the perimeter and let them do whatever they want. But the Penguins went out and challenged them and and created opportunities that way, which is something I'd love the Avalanche to incorporate. And that might be exactly what they're trying to do, and just they couldn't, but... Whatever it is, they've got to figure out how to get to that place where, where Pittsburgh was there. Pittsburgh blocked 26 shots at 5v5 in Game 6. And then I, I don't think Corsica is going to let me uh, drop down by period. But Yeah, I could be exaggerating that slightly. But I do know that the Sharks only got two shots on goal you know, in that period. And, and it they was went zero from- for a long time. Yeah, they went from like two minutes left in the second period to well, well, well into the third, like maybe five minutes left before they had another shot. 33 might, total blocks. 33 total blocks. Assuming that I can add properly because there's not like a total that's, that's adding up players. <laughs> Give them a calculator. Yeah. We're going to really miss War on Ice. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's a travesty. I wish like Hockey Reference just bought it, you know, and started incorporating those tools into their site or something like that. You think there's got to be some money out there. Start a GoFundMe page. Can anybody run that? (laughs) So, um, so that's it for, I guess for the playoffs this, this year, they've been fun to watch. I've watched more than I actually normally do. Um, even though I've been putting just an absurd amount of hours into overwatch, I've been watching a lot of playoffs. Um, so let's look back at news from the Avalanche. More recently, we noticed on Twitter, and then um, I think that Mile High Hockey was the first place to actually report it before anybody got any confirmation, uh, which was that Greg Sherman has, was missing from the website. And Greg Sherman has and the, the Colorado Avalanche have mutually decided to part ways. What does this mean, if anything? It, it's a it's a tough one. Um, I, you know, there are a couple of scenarios that could have happened. I mean, obviously, when when Sackett came in, uh, Sherman lost his GM role and was moved into you know, more of a, a specialized role and a lesser role, and maybe that wasn't something that he was comfortable with, or maybe they just decided to try it out for a while and then either he wasn't happy or they weren't happy with the whole situation. And you know, they just decided not to work together anymore. I, I, and I don't think it's anything he did. I, I can't think of something that you could point to and say, aha, you know, Greg Sherman did this in the last year and boy, you know, he's gone cause of that. Right. It was always my impression that Greg Sherman's role, what he moved to was more of a handholding position for Sackick, some guy that could, you know, uh, run the operation, you know, the the money side of it, you know, not just dealing with players, but somebody that could, you know, work a balance sheet and manage employees that weren't players. And, you know, maybe that's, uh, you know, a position that Joe Sackick's finally grown into. 
Or Chris McFarland, yeah. Or Chris McFarland. I mean, maybe the position's gotten redundant. Very possible. And and I it could since it was mutual, it's very possible that Sherman was like, Look, I want to go be an AGM or a GM someplace, so how someplace about we theater? end this? And Colorado's like, Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know If you want to pursue other opportunities, go for it, you know? Yeah, there wasn't an there wasn't any future for him as far as moving up, so I mean, you know, there, there are a lot of people that have been in the Avalanche organization for many, many years with seemingly little upward motion in their positions. But still, um, you know, he he did a decent job in some aspects as a, as a GM over the Sacco era. There's some good uh, draft picks in there. Some bad ones, too. Some I mean, <laughs> trades. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, I, I think that Sherman definitely got a little bit more fire than he deserved probably uh you know our cap situation uh, you know during his tenure was always pretty good i mean uh avalanche were never bumping up against the cap limit you know with always low prices always i I would describe sherman with the avalanche as okay i don't think he had a ton to work with but i'm not sure he got the most out of it either so that that's what we come up with okay couple coaching hires in there that uh were not my favorite at the time right was he part of granado was that him i think that was the i think he was hired right after granado yeah um well and i'm not sure he had a ton to do with sacco because sacco was monstrous coach uh several years before he came in yeah that was kind of a default sort of hire when when you hire the ahl coach for the nhl it's always kind of a default hire no other <clears throat> options. But speaking of AHL coach, we are now without one. Still without one. Still without one. Yeah, I mean, you know, from what we've heard, Steve Conowalchuk has interviewed and gone through the process. Um, AJ had a rumor from BSN the other day that the the process might have been stalled a little bit because they were waiting to talk to former Avs defenseman Nolan Pratt, who was an assistant with Lake Erie, who just won the Calder Cup after eight years of not making the playoffs with the Avs, won it in their first year with the Jackets. Um, so they're, you know, they're taking their time with that. I, I still think Kona Walchuk is, is sort of the leading candidate. Um, there's also the possibility that Pratt is perhaps being looked at for an, another job in the organization. I don't, you know... We won't know until things shake out, but um, defensive assistant coach, hmm? perhaps <laughs> um, you know, assistant coach slash sort of Damocles. Yeah, I mean, and again, you know, it's like Connor Wolchuk played for the Avs, and so did Pratt. So you know, you can make the nepotism call if you want, but I mean, these are these are guys that have gone on to do solid things outside of the organization. Right. You know, even if they hadn't played for the Avs, you know, they. They would be good guys to look at for these jobs. Yeah, right. I mean, these are viable coaching candidates here. Yeah. So, hopefully, we'll see somebody new down in uh, down in San Antonio sooner than later. Uh, certainly, the Dean Chanel era has been uh, definitely marked by a lot of prospects not panning out, um, a lot of stalled development. Um, with the singular exception of one Tyson Berry. I think that's 
probably yeah. the only exception. Um, so whether that's the fault of drafting or the fault of development, I guess we'll have a chance to find out now. I'd put it heavily on drafting and, and player and, and pro and amateur scouting as far as what the team was stocked with. If if some you know if some of these guys had gone on to you know blossom elsewhere, and probably the best candidate to perhaps do that is Colin Smith, but you know, we haven't seen one yet. So you know it, it's tough to put that all on Dean. Yeah. Of course, I mean it's tough to give back all the, those uh, those several years as well. So I mean it's it's always a hard call to make. Yeah. Um, but speaking of, uh, of signings and, and so forth, speaking of development, the Avalanche have signed Anton Lindholm and Sergei Boykov to ELCs. Lindholm, a 2014 pick, and Boykov, a 2015 pick, I believe. He was. He was picked last summer in the sixth round. Lindholm in the fifth round in 2014. <coughs> and he will be the highest pick from the 2014 draft to... Sign with the abs. Yeah, let's let's run down the 2014 draft because it is a peach. Um, the Colorado's tw- 2009 draft is very easily the best they've had, maybe ever. And I'm going to be doing a piece on this before the before the draft this year, just because I want to show how well they did relative to everybody else. Um, a 2014 mm, in the first round, the Colorado Avalanche pick one third of the price to rent Michael Bodker. <laughs> for a month and a half. In the second round, they do the exact same thing. They rent one-third of the price to rent Mikkel Bodker for a month and a half. In the third round, they draft a player they do not sign. In the fourth round, they draft a player that they do not sign. In the fifth round, they draft Anton Lindholm, who has now signed his ELC, and I don't know when he's supposed to come over from Sheleftia, but, uh, you know, that's the thing. That's it. The SK is not pronounced SK. I know that much. In the sixth round, well, in, in the sixth round, Colorado drafted a player that they did not sign, and in the seventh round, they hit a possible home run on Julian Nantel. They did. Um, I, I think part of that, it, you know, yes, if you look just at 2014, yes, it, it looks hideous, but. Um, you know, just one thing on the sixth round guy, we have his rights for two more years. It's Max Paypock, and he's a he's a goalie who's going to be over in Europe for another two years. Yeah, Paypock has, as far as I'm aware, looked like nothing ever. Right. He's not been great, but who knows? You know, two years, life can change. Um, but they, they had a pretty good 2013 draft, plus they added Comfer and... Uh, you know, it wasn't that Zadarov's year too. I mean, they they kind of had a big 2013 if you take what they got from Buffalo into account as well. So there wasn't a dire need to really stock up from 2014 either. And uh, if, as long as we're looking at context, not that it wouldn't have helped. Not but, that it wouldn't have helped. As long as we're looking at context, I would implore anyone who wants to hammer this point home too heavily about how bad 2014's draft was for the Avalanche to look at the 2014 draft as a whole. There are four players who have played a full season's worth of games in the NHL so far. Aaron Ekblad is ridiculous. And then you immediately reach the territory of, you know, Leon Dreisaitl and Sam Bennett and guys that could be all right, 
I like Sam Bennett. Um, but definitely haven't turned into much of anything yet. And there's only like 20 that have played in the league at all it, through three years. So, well, Yeah, I mean, they're just turning pro now if they're drafted out of the CHL. So, When you yeah. compare that to other years, though, that is a... That's a low quality draft we're looking at. I'll put it. I'll put 2012 against it for really bad. 2012 was horrible. Well, maybe someday I'll look at that. <laughs> I mean, this 2014 draft is the reason Rick Bracy no longer works for the Avalanche. Well, a I reason. Mean, I think 2012 is part of that too, and in fact, it might even be a bigger part. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of whiffs, and you can see our AHL system right now, our, our team, that, that is the reason we are so bereft of quality prospects, you know, yeah. even just mid tier quality prospects. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, 2012, you know, those are the guys that should be leading down there now. And, and 2014 like, should be the ones coming to fill the ranks right now. Right. right. In, in 2012, you had Mitch Hurd leading off. And then oh, four, sorry. I, ugh, yeah. I, you just made me feel a little nauseous there. That's and they had four of the same guy, basically. You know, you had four small um, Smurfs. And, you know, Smitty's gone. They didn't sign two guys. And, and Bork is the only one that's still in the organization. And he could be decent. But, you know, I, I mean. No know, one's that, saying you have to hit on all of these picks. That will worse than 2014 when all is said and done. I mean, you don't have to hit on all of these picks. You don't even have to hit on three quarters of them. But you need, like two picks in every draft to work out well enough to fill your roster, your 50-man roster. You know, you need to be signing, you know, entry-level contracts to two out of your seven picks every yeah. year. But, I mean, and 2012 was so bad, they couldn't even trade people away for, for 18 games of Mikkel Bodker. Which is unacceptable. You have to yeah. find a player that maybe he's a slow developer, you know, but something... Yeah, three three years later, you really need at, at least a couple of your draft picks to be joining a pro team that you own, and you really would not like the the highest drafted one to be in round five. Yeah, it's just you know it's problematic, is what it is. I I think one of the tough things was I mean that fourth round they had they had Magyar and Papan, and those were two kind of like shot in the dark deals. And they missed on both, and and I, you know, you know, they were kind of figuring like we'll take two similar guys, one a little more defensively two way guy, and the other a little more offensively, and you know, one of them will work out and we'll be okay, and and they didn't, you know, and it's just thinking like that is just that's tough. I mean, it's just you needed one guy out of those two to make it, and you just sort of made it like. Well, look at 2009. You have Tyson Berry and you have Stefan Elliott. You need one of those guys to make it. Yeah. Pixar Sammy, 2011. You need one of those guys to make it. Yeah. And what happens? One of those guys makes it. In 2014, you get fart noise. <laughs> well, I mean, I know it sounds unlikely, but, you know, what if Lindholm and Nantel turn out to be good players? Is that a bad draft? You know what if they what if they play in the NHL? Right. I would argue that it still is a bad draft because late round picks are reaching into a big bowl of beans and hoping that you get the one 
that won't kill you. Yeah, but it's, you know, you can look at it as it, it's, it, it could save your ass, too. I mean, if it ends up that those two guys end up playing, you know, I don't think they're going to have long NHL careers. They might, you know. But, you know, if those two guys end up being quality draft picks, then I think you're, you're looking at it as a better draft than, you know, the god-awful 2012. And, you know, you, you kind of forget about all the mistakes you made earlier. Because you're just looking at it, you're like, well, we got two guys out of that draft that were decent. And if you're depending on that being your fifth and seventh round pick, the draft has still failed. Julian no, Mantel could be the next Pavel Datsuk. I don't care. You still got lucky. I know. That's head in the sand looking at it. But it's just, you know, your goal if your goal is to get two guys signed and, and on their way to playing in the NHL, then they've you know, they at least have a shot at that still. So why is everyone so high on Julian Nantel? Um, he's very quick. Um, he's a he's a good skater. How would you know these things? Because yeah, I've watched seventeen games of the Huskies this season. Who are yeah. the Huskies? You're you're not the making Randa the transition Randa smooth for me here. Um, the Ruin Miranda Huskies are a team in the Quebec League where three of our prospects played this past season. We had Julian Nantel. We also had last year's third-round pick, J.C. Bodan, who is a center. And midway through the season, A.J. Greer from Boston University. Hey, fan-favorite pick right there. Exactly. Moved over to the QMJHL after petering out in the hub and uh, became sort of a, a sensation power forward for them. Um, now he's a fan-favorite for a different reason, not sarcastically. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, you know... Greer, up until he made the move to to switch leagues, he was really one of those picks. I mean, that was a second round pick that you're looking like, man. I mean, it's not it's heard, but it's pretty bad here, you know. Um, you know, he's grinding on the third line, not scoring, and the Huskies took him in. They're you know they were the best team in the QMJHL. They were able to let him take his time and then. Uh, learn the system, get conditioned to play the QMJHL type schedule. And gradually he just started scoring more and more. And in the playoffs, he was fantastic. Um, to be fair, it is the Q where defense is sometimes optional. No, they, they were a really good defensive team. I mean, they were the only team that really scared London in the Memorial Cup. Um they they actually played D and I you know I watched a couple of series where you know they, they were actually playing D. There's there there are teams that play D in the Q, um, but um, from what I take out of out of watching the the last two rounds of the playoffs there is is that you know we've got three guys that were a big part of a championship winning team. And it, it gives a lot of hope for the future because there are three kind of diverse types of players. And you've, you've got Bodan, who's a, a good playmaking center. He was injured for a large part of the uh, finals and the Memorial Cup. But uh, before that, he was just a, a joy to watch. You had Greer, who's a power forward, really good in front of the net, really good along the boards, winning puck battles. Um, you know, he's someone I'm excited about. They, you know, there are rumors that he might turn pro this year. Ooh. 
which I'm on the fence about. I mean, I, you know, maybe, maybe it's a good thing. You know, I, I think going back to ruin Naranda is probably the better call, but he, you know, if, if the Avs wanted to, they could sign him and put him in the AHL this year at, at age 19. So, I mean, you have you to have a place that. to play. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of spots <laughs> to fill. <laughs> exactly. And they're, you know, they've got to, they're putting lots of money into the, uh, training facility so you don't have to lift weights in the parking lot anymore right and, and because he's an american import as far as the chl is concerned he does have that option to leave before he turns 20 no it's because he was drafted out of college uh, whatever it is well it's that's an important distinction like if, if you're drafted out of ncaa or ushl then you have the option still even if you go to play in the CHL, you have the option to turn pro at 19 and play in the AHL. So, I mean, yeah. you know, it's an option. It's something to look at. I don't, I don't know if he'll do it. I'd say you know, maybe 30, 70 that he does. He could put but up there's really that. big numbers next year, McHugh, really big. Yeah, I mean, I you know, there's not a lot of downside to playing in Ruin Naranda because they're going to they're gonna return a lot of guys, and they're very uh, they're very cautious with how they use their farm system. You know their midgets and, and bantams coming up. They you know they really make sure that they're ready to play before they're coming up. So uh, they're a lot more developed than, than maybe a lot of teams you, you might see in the CHL. So you know I, I think they're going to be quite good again. So I, I you know it, it would be a good thing for him to go back if that's what he needs. Uh, I don't know. Any other questions you guys have on the Huskies? I love talk, talking about them. So, how many more Avalanche prospects can we get on that team? Um, I'm open a couple. Can we get Maloche to transfer over there? <laughs> that way, we just Actually, have to cover one junior team. Our, our former video coach will now be uh, Mario Duhamel will now be coaching uh, Gatineau next year. So we've got that going for us. He'll be he'll be looking after Mr. Maloche. Um, as far as guys that, that we might look at in drafting, you know, there there's some higher round picks that we might look at. Um, you know, I, which I think you know might be a nice might a nice thing to do um, because it's it's sort of a controlled environment for the Avalanche just because they have such a relationship with the team. Um, yeah, that'd be kind of neat to like get the. Get, get some opinions on guys like from people that you already have in the organization who can have maybe that sort of inside perspective on what it was like being on a team with that player. Right. right. And, and not only that, it just if you're a scout, um, you're going to be there watching the Huskies games anyway because you've got three players on there. So our scouts are going to be ultra familiar with everyone on that team that's undrafted. Um and it's just, you know, they know the coaches well. They know the, I mean, they, you know, most of the ownership and GM and all that, you know, a lot of those people are, are affiliated with the Avalanche in some way. So you just, uh, if you have a system like that where you can sort of treat it as a, as a third or fourth farm team, um, I kind of like that for high round picks just because, you know what you're getting. You're not sort of just throwing a dart at the board. You're saying like, okay, this kid, you know, it's not a big chance he's going to be a, a star in the NHL, but we know what we're going to get 
out of the next two years of junior for him. Yeah, and that, that's not a bad second or third round idea. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've been trying to figure out how to ask this question. I think I finally settled on it. Um, out of those three guys, are there any current or recent Avalanche players you might compare them to? I, I specify the Avalanche because I don't want to hear that somebody is a Milan Lucic type again. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, boy, that, I, that's, I mean, I've watched him a lot and I've never, I've never really come up with a good comparison. Um, maybe Greer could maybe be like a, a different kind of Como. Okay. <clears throat> as far as the way he plays offensively. He's got a bit of a personality too. You yeah. Know, I heard he's very in your face, kind of uh, aggressive. Yeah. Exactly. Probably something holding them back in the NCAA too. Could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he he went bananas in a in a game in the Memorial Cup, and that you know that that's what got the headlines. But I saw multiple times when he could have gone bananas in in the Q playoffs and didn't. So. I'm not calling him a live wire, obviously, but yeah, you know. But it's just guy you know, he stands up for his teammates and you know takes a hit the right way and says something back. There's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. You know he's he's a passionate guy. <clears throat> he's physical. Um, Bodan is Steve Downey. <laughs> no, he's not Steve Downey. Um, I don't. I Bodan is he's he's a tough one to figure out because he's he's just a really good playmaker. He has great vision. He he, he he's kind of like what Paul I would. Stassi. I, <laughs> no. Yeah, that actually might be a really good comparison. Um, I mean, you can't say great vision and not obviously mean Paul Stastny. Yeah, um, that, that's actually yeah that that might be um, that might be a really good way to characterize him because he's very good both ends of the ice and he has great vision, great passing. He's quick, um, though. He's a great skater watching him in development camp. I mean, uh, I, I think he's a better skater or will be better than Paul Stasny ever was. Yeah, and the nice thing was is, you know, he really needs to fill out a little bit. He's, he's you know, he's a little slight, and I think he definitely grew. He, I mean, he just seemed noticeably taller when I watched him at the end of the season as compared to camp and whatnot. Hmm. Um, so... You know he's he's going to fill out and get strong and and I, I, he might turn out a lot like Paul Stassi. Um, it's a good upside that, there. I'll have to pay him seven point five million dollars, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Nantel, I'd probably you know I'd, I'd have to go back to like he's he's very old school. Um, I you know I I would compare him to a generic Avs third or fourth liner from the dynasty days. Is someone who can play all three positions at forward, um, good in both ends. You know, he's not the most gifted scorer, but he can if he, if if he needs to. Like a high uh, note, maybe or a yeah, Stefan you know, Yell, Rene Corbet. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's 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 a lot of guys that I could um, point out like that back from the dynasty days. But <clears throat> um, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch because he's very quick. And very good defensively in the way that he pressures the point in the defensive zone. I just loved watching that because instead of like, you know, 
I was coming off watching the Avs for so long, and I was just so used to watching defenses that just collapsed. And he would be, you know, if the puck came over to the the point man he was supposed to cover, he'd be on him, you know. And, and it was just great to see because he would force turnovers, and boom, he was gone the other way. I mean, he's just really fun to watch like that. And just having someone like that in San Antonio next year is going to be fantastic. Need a center. Need like three more actually, but uh, had a lot of positions to fill, like you said. So yeah, um, glad we got one person from that draft signed to an entry-level contract we got two we got anton oh right 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 and a goalie <laughs> and a goalie maybe later <laughs> yeah maybe later <laughs> so, you know lindholm's worth talking about too because you know he played on that swedish uh junior team you know uh he played on their world, world cup yeah world oh, championship team yeah i mean that's a hell of an accomplishment you know for yeah. a player we weren't really paying much attention to no, I mean, when when the rumors started out that they, the Avs were thinking of signing him, I was like, what? Are they just doing it so they justify, you know, so they can have two ELCs from that draft? I mean, um, right. It turns out somebody else is seeing something in him, too, you know, even on the national team. Well, I just read an, an interview with him that uh, the Urlanch guys did the other day. Nice. And he said that, you know, David Oliver was in constant contact with him all season. So it's, you know. The, the Avs have been interested in him all year. This wasn't just sort of like, golly, should we sign Anton? I don't know. We need someone. And... Yeah, they're doing their diligence. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't have too many goalie prospects because they come and go. You know, if you're good at developing them, then they become really important assets <laughs> that you can deal for lots of other kinds of prospects. So, you know, don't consider uh, another goalie a redundancy. It's not. Yeah, well, this team should be good at developing goalies. I mean, they've got between Alaire and Waugh, I mean, you've got all the cred you need. But 2014 overall still looks like a lot of questionable decisions after questionable decisions. And speaking of questionable decisions, there's been some fun news today coming out of the Anaheim Ducks. <laughs> Welcome back to the NHL. Brain overheater himself, Randy Carlisle. Randy. <laughs> Carl Meister. Good one, Randy. <laughs> I hadn't seen that gif in so long. <laughs> it was great to see you today. <laughs> He's back with the team he won the cup with, although they no longer have names like Jaguar or Pronger or Niedermeyer. Although apparently the players they do have really wanted him back and were lobbying pretty hard. That's because they didn't want Eakins to come up from San Diego. Well, I mean, I've, I've heard that, and I've also seen guys be like, well, that's somebody that we couldn't wait to get rid of, so we'll see how that goes. Right. So, I don't know, maybe there's a big division in that locker room back then. Yep. I mean, uh, that's an interesting decision. Lose Bruce Boudreaux for <laughs> Randy Carlisle. But, you know, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, obviously it worked before, so... Uh... I don't know. See if it translates again. And I guess the, the big part of it for Avs fans was that Dave Farish was the defensive coach on that team, as well as Randy's defensive coach for a spell in Toronto. And well, maybe Randy might might want old Dave with him again in, in Anaheim. And and that would be that'd be a great deal for the Avs. That would be a great deal. That, that that'd be horrible. What are you talking about? It's you don't want to lose such a such a fine defensive coach. 
Randy. You, you can't take our great defensive coach from us. I mean, so I know you're listening, Randy. Personally crafted the collapso Rama defense, right? <laughs> that's such a great word for it. Earl, that's yours, by the way. Got to give you credit. <laughs> collapso Rama, especially considering that's the defense behind the original. It was four one. You know, I mean, I rag on Dave Farish a lot, and I, you know, I call for his head. He's. I'm sure he's a very smart guy and maybe he could adapt. You know, I, I I'm not just trying to set myself up if he stays, but, um, you know, it, it I, I think it would be a benefit to the Avs to sort of start anew there. I just, I don't think that worked at all. It got worse last season instead of getting better. And yeah. It got better for a minute noticed. for just for just a minute. It got better. Oh, which minute were you? That, that, that was the November minute. When for a few amazing little weeks, we saw a five-man breakout. Right. And then, I don't know, everyone just like, we're sand thrown at a fan blade and they're going their own ways again. Well, I mean, the clincher for me was on this very very radio program that AJ was saying that, you know, he'd go to practice and Tim Army would be out there with Grigo or somebody or Duchesne working on face-offs or working on board work or something like that. But Dave, Dave Farish was never working with the defense, uh, any kind of one-on-one deal or anything like that. So that wasn't and, how I heard AJ. What I heard was that the things that Farish was, or that, that, uh, that Grigo was working on in practice would translate to, the, to what was happening at games, and Duchesne's work would translate. But the things that Farish was doing with guys like Barry and Begraw was getting absolutely nowhere. Right. I mean, the the success that he was having was nil. I mean, it, it, all those guys regressed. I mean, Holden was so bad at the end of the year. And it's like, I know he's not the greatest skater or puck handler or anything like that. But, I mean, he, he wasn't as bad as, as he looked at the end of the season. He's, he's serviceable he, for much of the season. He, yeah. He's overpaid. He's in over his head. But he's not awful. Right. And it's just... To, to see guys like Barry and Holden, and I mean even EJ, I mean we we can say that Bosch tired out, but um, you know that could have also been sort of things not working in, in practice as well. I mean, all the defensemen regressed towards the end of the season, um, and it could be they just stayed static, and as the other teams rose towards the the playoff runs, you know the Avs just you know weren't able to increase their level, but. And whatever it was, it just it didn't work. Um, and I, I don't know if you can change that. You know, I, I don't know if, if even if he put in a modern system, whether he's the right guy to be doing that. It's hard to gain players back once you lose their trust. And that's about the only time I really advocate coaching change is when you no longer have the ability to, you know, grow players and their ability. Um they don't trust you to put them in the right position to succeed. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, a problem we have on this team is the defense is not improving. You know, it's gotten worse, you know, the last two years overall. Another recent coaching announcement, um, the St. Louis Blues have put themselves in kind of an awkward position, honestly, um, where Hitchcock has signed on for another year, but he has publicly announced it will be his final year. And so they've hired our old uh, Zach Parise victim, Mike Yo, 
to be an associate this season and be the pre- next head coach in 2017. Poor Tarasenko. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, good on them for being proactive and trying to get a successor in place. You know, when that retirement occurs, I wish more teams would do this and have a coaching hierarchy that made sense. You know, because coaches do move on. Uh, coaches do retire eventually. Uh, you know, so I like the idea of getting a coach in place. Uh, whether or not Mike Yo is the correct individual for <laughs> their situation, uh, I guess we'll see. I, don't, I mean, how do you feel about having a lame duck guy there? I mean, say things start going south in February, um, you know, you're going to have a split. I don't know if you call it a split room, but... You know, it's like the guy of the future standing right there and, and what Hitch is doing isn't working. I mean, that, that's going to be a tough situation because it's going to come up. Everyone goes through a little bit of slump right. sometime January, February, March. Right. So I, I, I don't know about the logic behind having a lame duck there. I, it can work in one of these, you know, little or like average size or small markets. Like it can work in a St. Louis. It can work in... The, in places that aren't called Toronto and Montreal, mm-hmm. um, if if the uh, if this was happening in Montreal and they lost three games straight, you'd be seeing just screaming French language to get that guy out of the way already. He's holding back the future of the franchise. Mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, <clears throat> I, th- I think Mike Yo is a for for all. Of, for all that I hate him, he is a pretty professional guy. So, I mean, he's not going to you – know, he'll be like the Avs assistant coaches and never say a word to the media, so we're never going to go through that. But he, he I just – I, I really wonder about how that dynamic will play out in the latter part of the season. I, it'll be interesting. If it works out well, I mean, sure. you know, it, it might be a good way to, you know, put in a new head coach for the next year. But this will depend entirely on the success of that team, which I wish them none. Yeah, I hope it goes <laughs> terrible for them. <laughs> they fire everybody by February, even yeah, Mike Get rid of all of them. Yeah, say, you uh, know what, Mike, sorry, we're going to – You know, it turns out that someone actually left that contract in their pants when they washed them. Um, we can't find it. I mean, that'd be great if they fired Hitch in January and then just had a – Horrible collapse towards the end of the season, end up missing the playoffs by a point or something. <laughs> that what do you be... do then? Uh oh. Oh man, that would be the best. <laughs> <laughs> it's just Somebody weird. I don't know that. Reason. Yeah, I don't know that anyone's ever openly done this before. I mean, teams hire guys that are like you know former NHL coaches as assistants when they've got their most recent coach, who's very clearly on their last chance. But they don't openly say, well, here's going to be our coach after this guy. Yeah, I've seen a little bit in other sports. But, uh, you know, definitely you've got uh, basketball is famous for having really hand-picked coaches. You know, uh, uh, the Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra kind of situation. I mean, uh, the most famous example I can think of was when I was a kid, you know, uh, Bill Walsh retiring and. George Seifert, you know, taking over afterwards. Everybody knew George Seifert was that guy afterwards. Yeah. You know, so I, I just think you have to have a clear coaching hierarchy. I mean, again, bringing a guy in, you know, maybe that's a little different, but having a succession plan, 
that's within the organization, especially if you've been semi-successful like St. Louis has, I don't think it's a bad idea. We'll see how it turns out. I'm, to- I'm definitely interested to see what happens when the St. Louis Blues hit their first st- slump in the calendar year 2017. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's good to know we won't have to stop hating them. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, that may remain. <laughs> so finally today we have already touched on uh whether like on the the rumors for trading Barry um a little bit more than I expected to early in the show. Um do you guys think that's going to happen? Uh I think it could. I how likely it is is just I, I can't even put a number on it. Yeah, I have no I barometer it. on this at all. Then let me ask it in a much less predicty way. What uh, are you with me on team? Su- just resign the guy. Yeah, trade him later if you need to. I mean, yeah, what's I mean, the window on that afterwards? I mean, do you have to wait a year, you know, to trade him again? That's if he signs an offer sheet and they right, right. Oh, right, right, right. That's, okay. Yeah, um, there's no I mean, harm in signing him. I, I think if someone, you know, again, like Drager said today, if someone offers him something that really fits well with the team or seems to, then they might trade him. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't see a lot of angst between them as far as getting a deal done. I mean, there's not a lot of there's, – there's not a lot of good arguments on either side for the, the salary to really fluctuate a, a ton. No, the Avs have the money. I think Tyson Berry's experienced success here, and I also think he's a little closer to his teammates than a certain Ryan O'Reilly was. Yeah. And uh, I think he would be here, you know, if he's getting paid a decent amount of money, and I think the Avs will offer that to him. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've been trying to crowdsource some data here. I've been trying to get, you know, a feel of, from uh, people who write for other blogs in our network of, you know, what would you trade for Tyson Berry? You know, what would you pay him once you have that opportunity? The answers are so all over the place. You know, you've got so many teams who, you know, offered us trades for Tyson Berry in our little mock draft, you know, as an exercise. And I'm like, well, okay, what would you give me? You know, was a 14th overall pick going to get me Tyson Berry? Uh, (laughs) No. It would, I, I turned it down. I mean, and, Tyson uh, Berry's Tyson Berry, but a 14th overall pick, that could be anything. It could. It could even be yeah. Tyson Berry. <laughs> it could. But it will be three or four years from now, and the Avalanche aren't in a position to be dealing for future assets. If they're trading Tyson Berry, it's going to be for a player that's effective right now for this team right now. I'll go further with that to say that trading him for a forward is dumb, you know, unless they do the mythical Truba trade, you know, unrelated. Right. Or something like that. But so like, then, like, if you're, you're, are you going to trade a defenseman for a different defenseman? or? That's what I'm saying. I mean, it, like, if, it's yeah, lateral at best. Well, it just, if it's a different kind of defenseman, you know, you can make a case that that maybe Trubu would do some things better than Tyson. That I, you know, sure. I I, I different. Style, I don't have a big same kind of ability. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I've heard of a, a couple deals that that sound tempting on that, but it's just I I just I don't see the logic behind trading him for any kind of pick prospect or you know pick okay player type deals. 
and trading him for a forward is just ludicrous without doing something else. I mean, I, I don't like trades that force you to make another move. Right. You can't create another hole by fixing one. Right. I mean... And, and I don't think there's any chance that Tyson Berry gets traded for a forward if the Avalanche do what our uh, friend of the show, A.J. Hayfley, says they're going to do 95% and signs Alexander Radulov. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we'll I... a forward that way. He is the guy. What do you guys think about that one? Hell yeah. I, I'm not sure how you afford it necessarily because you're giving out $12 million for Barry McKinnon, you know, alone. Easily. And you're probably giving out another two and a half for uh, Gregorinko. So you don't and... have that much money left. You pretty much have $18 million to play with, you know, give you or got take. You too. Right, you know, Pickard's I mean, probably another one and a half. But it, it all adds up. And we'd like yeah. to keep Sean Mathias around. He worked well with the team. Exactly. It's going to cost you another two and a half, probably. You know, no, I, I, you I, just don't have money left unless you're clearing it somewhere. Uh, Avalanche don't have money problems going forward. Once you lose Brad Stewart and Jerome McGinley, I mean, you've got plenty of money. It's this upcoming season where you have an issue. That's why I'm thinking that there there could be a deal. I I, I think. They, they might do something like a one-year deal for Barry. Um, and I think, you know, something, all right, today I made the case that for Matthias that you might want to do like a three-year deal, but maybe you do something, you know, like a one-year deal. So like, look, I'd love to sign you for a three-year deal. We just, you know, we can't take the cap hit right now. I don't think you sign a guy like Sean Matthias for more than one, maybe two years. Well, I mean, if you could get it, I'm saying like if you could get him at a discount for three years, right. relative to what you take for one year. I don't know. I'd still have to be sold on that one. The problem with cap hit in the NHL is it's always spread out. You can't, you know, it's always your average annual value is your cap hit. Yeah. You know, so you're not gonna save money, you know, by backloading a contract. Unfortunately. I mean, well, I mean, I think in some cases you might like I. Again, I suggested today, like for Matthias, maybe you offer him, you know, a salary like four million dollars this year, and then a million and a million for a three-year deal at, at two million, at two million cap hit. You know, yeah. if something like that you could work out, such that it lowers the cap, and all you have to do is give him money up front. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe that's something that that could make the whole thing work. Sure. Yeah. And and I don't know what what the team is gonna gonna do with Matthias. They may not be as interested in keeping him as all the fans are. Who knows? That's true. But I just do you guys see Radulov signing for anything less than like five million dollars? Absolutely not. No right. way. I mean, I just don't see how this works unless the Avalanche are making a sacrifice somewhere in their roster. If if you his know. media ask is seven point five, he makes more than six on his contract. Not a question. Totally. You know, yeah. that's his incentive to come back here. <laughs> uh, you know, strong American dollar. Well, I mean, do yeah. you guys think that's why he hasn't signed yet? There's, like, the speculation I've seen on why he may not have made a decision yet is that teams, the Avalanche included, are waiting on the NHLPA to decide whether they're going to use the cap escalator or not because it's looking real stagnant this year. Right. Thanks, yeah. Oil. 
there, there, there hasn't been bupkis for deals. You know, I mean, it's like you're getting like sub million dollar contracts for, you know, bottom line guys. But I mean, that you know, nothing is moving. And nothing's gonna move until we know what the picture is gonna look like, which was where we're waiting on the on the PA. Well, it's not just that you're waiting on expansion. I mean, it's like there's you know the, the expansion has is throwing a, a whole different tack to this, right? Because you you kind of want to craft some. I mean, it, it'd be dumb to sign, you know, a big free agent or one of your own free agents to a nice deal and you know be screwed by it. So just you you got to make sure that whatever you do from now on is going to put you in a in a position to to be able to come through the expansion draft the way you'd like to. Well, that's there's a difference I think between the situation with the escalator and um, expansion because teams have the final say on expansion. Teams know where that's going, and even if they don't, it's a lot easier to go ahead and make a deal for a guy that's prepared for an, for a potential expansion draft than it is to make a deal for a guy that fits into two different cap situations. Yeah, but all right, if you overpay someone, you can make it unattractive for the the expansion franchises to take them perhaps or you know, I don't there's there's stuff like that you, that might play into it. We also don't know how that might affect the salary cap. You know, is it going to dilute the money in the league enough to where the salary cap goes down? Is it going to go up with the expansion fees? That's a good question. I mean, Adrian Dater, again, kind of dropped his name twice today. You know, he said the NHL's already given teams permission to put $10 million on their ledger, you know, with another six later. Um, is some of that, per the NHL's agreement with the players, uh, have to go to salary? Um, I mean, that's just something I don't know. I'm sure we have more informed readers and listeners, but we'll know more coming months. I don't. I mean, I don't think anything from expansion other than you know revenue generated by Las Vegas from ticket sales is going to affect the cap. Right. <clears throat> Sorry, hockey-related re- revenue from Las Vegas, but. Mm-hmm. Um, It'll be interesting because we haven't seen expansion fees like three hundred million dollars before. I mean, it was eighty million in two thousand, and you know I'm not sure any of us had the information how that affected the salary cap back then. But there wasn't a salary cap. There wasn't. (laughs) Right. So uh, there's really no precedent for it. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing the expansion did. It it put, I mean, I know 80 million doesn't sound like squat now, but that was a lot back then. Just gave teams like the Avalanche and the Red Wings more money to spend. Right. The Rangers. But it didn't work out for them. You know, I just wonder if the players are entitled to, you know, 49% of the revenue or something like that, that the cap, you know, may have to go up, you know, once that $10 million goes on the books. So I, we don't know that anything right now. I'm sure we'll know quite a bit more on the 22nd. Hopefully we'll get some more solid rules then and some more solid implications of what X means for Y, Z, and sometimes L. Yep. It'll um, be a busy couple weeks. It will be. Um... But for now, ju- I mean, in principle, it it is if Radulov is a t- is is a tight fit that actually they can squeeze under through in some way, um, through the maybe the Holden deal that C- Cole Hamilton is convinced is happening, or the John Mitchell deal, or the John Mitchell, Mitchell. deal, right. um, like, yeah, would you guys want that player on your roster? Hundred percent, yes. 
I mean, I, I, there's no guarantee he makes the team better, but I, you know, it'd be hard to imagine how he wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, that guy's a proven goal scorer in this league. You know, uh, people have mentioned maturity problems, but, you know, he's not a young man anymore. Uh, you know, doesn't necessitate that he's matured, but, uh, you know, he's a good hockey player. He's proven it in the league. You know, he's been on playoff teams. I mean, that, that's like the exact kind of veteran you want to bring <laughs> or trade for. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's a great idea. He's Russian, you know hang out with the other Russians on the team. Well, that's who we are now, right? What if we have to trade Varley to fit him in? <laughs> uh, I look forward to your new mask, Calvin Pickard. <laughs> but, I mean, if, if the team adds Radulov, then the Denver Post needs to trade for Slava Malamud so that we can yeah. get some access to the Russian players. Because you know Mike Chambers ain't getting them. No. Well, I mean, another thing he could do, I mean, I know Mac wants a long-term deal, but the, the Avs might just say, like, look, you know, we're going to get we're, we're going to get a really good wing to play in the top six. This is going to help you and help the team and help us go further. We want to sign you long-term, but it just can't happen with what the salary cap situation is this summer. Right. You know, when Ginla goes off the books, when Stewart goes off the books, that's your money. No, here, this is where that bites the abs in the butt, though, because a one-year deal right now, after the season that Nathan McKinnon just had, is absolutely a chance for him to pull a Nazem Kadri and bet on himself. Right. And then go pull a Nathan McKinnon rookie year and light things apart and just go have all the improvements that you could possibly expect him to have and then just be, like, have his career year next year, and now he's up for another new deal. And you could have just signed him long-term for less than he wants now. But how much more would it be, you know? Or how much are we saving right now because of this past season? Are we saving anything at all? Yeah, I mean, let's say, let's say right now they'd take 8 by 6 Both sides are great with that. And next year he just goes bananas and scores 100 points, and it's 8 by 8 Right. Is that... You know, in 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 the grand scheme of things, that might be worth it. Oh yeah, two million a year is a, is a big deal. Yeah, I don't think it is because they won't have the salary cap problems next year. And I know this. I sound like everyone back three years ago that the cap's just going to go up and up. But um, hmm? I don't know. I, I mean, I really think they're going to have to do some funny stuff, and and they just have no time to do. I mean, it's. It's the fourteenth. They got to sign everybody soon. They got two weeks to do everything. Well, this is kind of last year too. You know, we hardly heard any rumors of free agents that they were signing. We had no idea they'd be signing Boschman and Como. And, yeah. Uh, you know, um, you I so? I was not surprised at all that they signed Boschman. Okay. I well, was. I mean, maybe I, I got lost in all the Sakara talk, maybe, but uh, I thought we were a great fit for Boschman. Yeah. I think it's uh, Sekera now. Stuff Cut. called that one. <laughs> is, is that like how Parise is Parisi now? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. So, I mean, I think the Avalanche do their homework. I, don't, I, I think they like keeping it all in pretty close. They're going to yeah, drop I mean, it all on us once free agency opens. Exactly. I mean, I keep waiting for you know, little things. I mean, I, I figured by now we might have an AHL coach or – 
you know, we might have a few, you know, smaller uh, free agent, you know, RFA deals done or something like that, but nope. Well, you know, uh, got the draft upon us. What is that, 10 days now? It's so quick. Yeah. Really All is. I can say is from pretty much the 22nd to July, you know, 3rd, it's just going to be insane around the league. You know what? The Avalanche might have a lot in store for the draft, too. You know, they may not be focusing on free agency. Uh, you know, there's teams that have been rumored to have wanted to trade back. You know, there's teams that want to trade up. Uh, there could be a lot more movement this year. Well, they, I mean, I'm just saying from from a, a free agent perspective, they have 27 contracts right now. they got to sign 20 guys. Right. Yep. And they're going to need a lot some... of European players probably just to fill up spots at the AHL. Yeah, I mean, it's just, we, you know, well, uh, the Euros we usually sign in May, so that, that that's something that's confounding me. They, yeah. Yeah, they, they may feel like they need to move away from that right now. Yeah. Um, since, since that has seen the guys that they then liked go back home. Uh, just, I'm not sure that either, either situation worked out that great. But at any rate, um, the, the draft coming up soon. We'll definitely uh, want to throw another show at you guys at, between the draft and free agency. Yeah, because we got qualifying right. I mean, qualifying starts right after the draft. That's going to be big to see who our RFAs that get qualified are. Right, we've got a lot of guys kind of on that qualification bubble. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's some really interesting names that I've been wondering about as far as whether they'll get qualified. We'll we'll get to find out soon, and we'll get to have some draft trades to talk about, I'm sure, and get to look ahead to free agency and start previewing who we want the Avs to target, like. Jason Demers or, or, or Jason Demers. It's <laughs> <laughs> only one option. <laughs> well, gosh, I mean, uh, still plenty to talk about, man. I almost feel like we should be doing this podcast every week. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to feel like we do for a minute. Cause we'll have another show after the draft. We'll have another show after, after free agency. Um, uh, big news tomorrow. We'll see uh, if Avalanche buy out anybody. That's right. We'll see if they want to, because if they want to get that Brad Stewart roster spot back. Right. Well, roster spots are important. We bitched about it all year, <laughs> so well, let's I mean, not discount that. For Brad Stewart, if he's dead set on playing and won't, you know, refuses to go on LTIR, what options do you have? Sit him on a bench, reserve role all year. Well, you may as well buy him out then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're not going to play, you should just buy him out because it's the same deal, except you don't have to have him poisoning the clubhouse. Yeah, you, you only get the roster spot. You don't get the cap hit back because that's an older contract. Right. And I, I, you know, I know everyone says, oh, just LTIR him, but it's just if he shows up and says, look, I'm healthy, and if you try to LTIR, you know, I'm going to file a grievance. Right. You don't want that on your hands. Not at all. I mean, that's just more trouble than it's worth. So, I give it pretty good odds tomorrow he gets bought out. Yeah, I mean, I, I, in the next week, let's make it clear it is a window. Right. So you've got a week to do it, but you know, starting tomorrow, <laughs> that is a possibility. Nine a.m. tomorrow, the Avalanche are buying out Brad Stewart. Wasting what no they, time. I mean, they they could trade him. 
you know. I mean, we just saw Mox Avad's contract move, and right, the, who's looking the Coyotes for contracts, traded for Chris Goddamn Pronger. Yeah, but I mean, it's just I I I, I don't think there's a lot of capacity for that. Um, it, that and it just giving up an asset to do something like that. It's just painful. Yeah, you know, everyone talks you can about just eat the money. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about like taking Datsuk's money on. I mean, it's just what the Red Wings would have to give up to ta- have someone take that contract. Is, you know, and that's right. a lot of bread. Right. You, you just everyone was in within ten million of the salary cap this year, pretty much. So it's like taking on seven and a half is a big deal for any team. Yeah. Even Toronto, even Arizona, teams that yeah. were trying to skim the bottom. Exactly. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think the Avalanche would owe him, what, like half of his contract, but, you know, still have to endure the full cap hit. I mean, might be saving a little birds, but yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's something silly like that, but I'll, all that matters as far as I'm concerned is that it doesn't come off the cap. No. No, it's, exactly. The, the, it's if, not going to come off the cap unless they trade him. They have to find a sucker, and he's got a no-trade clause. So, I'd like to see it happen even symbolically. <laughs> I know it sounds stupid, but finally admit this is the That's greatest kind of mistake you'll right? ever, ever make. <laughs> just, just a nice little press release. All right, fans. You were right. You fucked up. Or maybe they wouldn't make so a press bad. <laughs> the, the, the press release just says, the Avalanche are buying out the contract to Brad Stewart, and underneath it is a clip of uh, Dan O'Toole saying, you blew it. <laughs> I think it'd be good yeah, for the organization. <laughs> Just get that off your chest, you know. Don't be walking around, you know, peering around corners, making sure no one's looking at that trade anymore. Just get it off your chest. Yeah. Uh, but you know, get it off, get out of the clubhouse too. You know, set an expectation that you need to be healthy and contributing for this club, and uh, it'll give younger players an opportunity you know to have roster spots and play in san antonio yeah and, and even though you know it's not the optimum place to be with with the way the salary cap is it's just it, it would be something definite you know right. you'd have less people just be like well if we did this and this and got rid of stewart's contract or right. you know it just it would take one variable that everyone's been trying to play just with all light year. the fire burn the bridge yeah, make the internet less painful. I'll always support that. Right. Yeah. Anything we can do there. <laughs> make trading for Brad Stewart great again. Yeah, I'm just gonna let that one die. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, we covered a lot of ground today. Um, if you made it through all more than an hour and fifteen minutes, then. I think we just became best friends. We did. Think that's how that works? Yeah. It's a rule. And uh, we will catch you soon. We'll catch you sometime following the draft. I don't know how quickly following the draft. I don't know if it'll be the following Monday, but it'll be sometime shortly after the draft. And we will break down what the Avalanche do there, what they've done in the meantime, and have a look at what they may do in the future. I've been Steph. They've been not Steph. And we will... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll catch you later. Have a good one, guys. Like I said, I need a do-over anyway. Oh, yeah. Now it's seven, so I can drink beer. <laughs>
I've got to, I've got to wait two hours for that. No, Ashley, you don't get a beer. All right. So at least now we have an outro. I know you're a good dog, but you don't get a beer.